All right, podcast here. You're listening, right? It's Howard Stern here. And I got to tell you, I mean, Robin, I'm not really into podcasts. Well, that's like all those people who used to be on cable access. Yeah. They thought they were They were on TV. <laughs> they would pay a company to put my TV. Hey, look, I'm on TV. No, you're not on TV. I mean, yeah, you're on TV, but nobody gives a shit about you. <laughs> but Trenton Waves, it's not a podcast. This is a freaking experience. Frank and Christina Sasso are the best. The best thing since Transcendental Meditation. Oh my. <laughs> Are you ready? It's the official, unofficial podcast of the city of Trenton, New Jersey. Yeah. With your host, Frank Ferocious Sasso. Trenton still makes and the world still takes. And Christina Firestarter Sasso. Trenton is Mayberry with attitude. Hang tight because we're going to meet the lifeblood behind the culture, food, arts, music, pork roll, punk rock, hair, books, education, talent, events, of Trenton, New Jersey. Here's Frank and Christina. Hey, podcastia, Frank Sasso here. Special episode of Trenton Waves today. We wanted to give you, podcastia, a sneak peek into a new show coming in 2023 called Frank Talks. And that's exactly what it is. It's me talking to people in the different industries that I've been in in my life. And we wanted to share this first episode with you guys. It's a sneak peek into a new show on the New Pod City Podcast Network in 2023 called Frank Talks. My first guest was with Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas was the first successor to Stan Lee as editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. I mean, this guy's just a legend. He's well-known as the creator of Wolverine and Vision, but he also introduced Conan the Barbarian to American comics. He wrote for The Avengers, the Defenders, Invaders, Uncanny X-Men, Thor, Iron Fist, Secret Origins, Young All-Stars. Again, created Wolverine and Vision. Also, Carol Danvers, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Ultron, Yellow Jacket, Defenders, Man-Thing, Red Sonja. And this guy, I'm telling you, he's a Nighthawk, Valkyrie. He was inducted into the Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame in 2011 and into the Harvey Awards Hall of Fame this year, 2022. If there was a Mount Rushmore for the comic book industry, Roy Thomas would definitely be up on that mountain. So enjoy Frank Talks with Roy Thomas. This is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to Frank Talks. Welcome, everybody, to Frank Talks. That's right. We are sitting here with, let me just put it this way. The Mount Rushmore of Marvel has four names on it. Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and without a doubt, the man who saved Marvel actually a few times and is the de facto protege of Stan Lee, none other than rascally Roy Thomas is with us today. That's right, Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm already embarrassed, though, that Mount Rushmore thing. I've heard that before. I don't know. You've also heard rascally Roy Thomas, too. Well, well, that's okay. I heard that from Stan all the time. He made it up. I wasn't rascally at all. That was just, it it just happened to start with an R. Oh, really? Occasionally earlier, I was also rollicking Roy, but that dropped out. Rollicking Roy? What is that all about? Nothing. It was just, it was an R. You know, Stan went more by, I mean, you know, Dapper Don or Dapper This or Gentleman This. Uh, right. know, it didn't mean anything to Stan. <laughs> he smiled a fair amount, and Jack Curry wasn't especially jolly. Wow. You know, but uh, he, he was just fine somewhere. And all of a sudden, people are genial this, and they're jolly that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden, we start playing to those prototypes, and people get to know me and say, 
why did he call you Rascally Roy? I, I was very laid back, you know, with Bob Newart and the button-down mind. Okay, say, yeah, well, I was sure, button sure. Down. You know, I was Were you really? Yeah, yeah. When I first started there, I was wearing a suit and a vest, you know, and that's how I showed up at the office, a okay. suit and a vest. For a the suit first. and a vest? Yeah, well, wow. you know. Yeah. Well, that of was course, time, remember, I, I bought this for D.C., you remember? Cause, and oh. at D.C., they made people wear suits, because I came to New York to work for D.C. Oh, Marvel. I didn't know that. Oh, well, you're one of the 12 people that's ever heard of me that don't know that. That's good. Wow. <laughs> so you must have known Bob Kane? I met him later. Did but you? He, but he wasn't around the office much. He didn't do anything. He just got other people to draw. Oh, okay, no, nice. No, but th what happened is I was a, a teacher in my early 20s in the St. Louis area. First year was on Route 66 between St. Louis and Head Points West. Okay. But then I spent three years around just south of St. Louis. First time I lived in a you know big city. You know, right. I was from about 100 miles south of there uh, near the Mississippi. I hated teaching high school. I mean, that's what I drifted into simply because I had no idea of what I wanted to do. So, okay. you know, if you're a teacher... You know, hey, I got to read a few books, and you got three months off in the summer, even if you didn't make any money. So that was I, my wife, exactly. Yeah, and, and, you know, my mother would talk about accounting and stuff. You know, had no interest for me. Right. So I thought I could get by with teaching, but, you know, I hated it. The first year of teaching, you know, I, I, that's about the time we discovered comics fandom. Okay. Or, you know, and so forth. And so I'd spend all my time in the evenings when I should have been grading papers. I mean, I'd spend a minimal, but mostly I spent it on fanzines, you right. know, either reading comics, writing about comics. Sure. But I wanted to get out of teaching. So I had a friend, became a lawyer later. He was my roommate sure. at the time. He knew I'd wanted to get out. A couple of years earlier, I had almost become an Egyptologist if I'd had the money to go to school. I was accepted at the Oriental Institute of the University of Chicago, mm. one of the top schools in the world for uh, Egyptology. But, you know, didn't have any money, so I let that go. Egyptology's loss, his comic book's loss, you know. And uh, he was being fated at the time because he was, and he told me it was 12 times, uh, so I memorized it. He says he was the youngest 32nd degree Mason in the state. That didn't mean anything to me, right, but it right. meant something to a lot of the Masons at sure, these meetings he went to. Yeah. So, you know, he got kind of lionized as being the young guy <laughs> right, and everything. Right. He was like 20, 21. So he got to know these people. And he said, you know, I felt there's a fellowship to George Washington University in Washington, D.C., okay. in foreign relations. Nobody ever takes it, but it's just sitting there. It's, you know, several thousand dollars, sure, you know, and sure. so forth a year. I said, well, what do I have to do to get it if it gets to be out of teaching? He says, oh, you just have to show up and have an interview. So I right, went in, right. I, so I drive into St. Louis, I drive in somewhere near St. Louis, you, and I talk to some guy, some old guy, probably 50 or 60, you know, many years younger than right. I am now. Right. And uh, I walk out with this big fellowship you know, wow. that, that I didn't do anything to deserve. He didn't know what I knew. I had a good grade average. I had no specialties in foreign relations. My idea of that would have been a date with Brigitte Bardot at the time. Okay. <laughs> and right after that, in the late winter, early spring, I get a, a letter from Mort Weisinger, who was the editor of all the Superman books, you know, the seven oh, wow. or eight books, okay. Superman, Lois sure. Lane, Jimmy Olsen, sure, sure. even World's Finest, but it was Superman, Superboy. He's the only one of the editors there, except the romance editor, who really had a, an assistant. Okay. You know, it was a big enough deal that you know, Batman didn't, but Superman did. So he needed to hire a new assistant. He wasn't happy with the one he had, even though he was a good guy. You know, so I was offered that job, kind of a trial basis. Wow. Gives me a salary, 110 a week, which was, you know, not that bad by the time. It's sure. at least what I was making as a teacher, although sure. you were expensive in right. New York. So I, I head off to New York to, to do it. When I show up, and he knew exactly when I was coming, always says, well, I can't start paying you till next week. You know, <laughs> I'm a teacher. I got no money. <laughs> You're so, going in with this. Yeah, yeah, right? going in. I show up with the I can't. You can hang around this right. week. We'll show you the ropes. Right. But I can't. <laughs> But I can't pay you till next week. I said, well, you know, and he says, and it's, 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 it's 100 a week. I said, well, you said in the letter 110. Yeah, what happened? He said, well, his, the only explanation I ever got, and this is a direct quote, he says, 
I can't pay you more than I'm paying that idiot down there. He meant my farmer assistant. First of all, I was replacing the farmer. Why couldn't he pay me more? Right, Secondly, exactly. he had offered it to me. Right. I, but okay, so what have I got? Suddenly he's decreased my stuff by 10%. Yeah, he's salary. already cutting you $40 a month. What's going on? <laughs> and I just haven't started work yet. Jeez. So anyway, so I hang around. I do it because I got very little choice now. Except right. that I still have in my hip pocket somewhere, I still have that fellowship. So I was going to say, yeah. If it didn't work that out that up. summer, right. this is like June. Sure, sure. You know, I still got a month or so to throw it together right. to, go to try to become, you know, Woody Allen. And you say, in case of war, I'm a hostage. That would have been my contributions <laughs> right, to foreign relations. <laughs> and uh, But the thing is, I don't know if you know anything about the legend of Mort Weisinger now. He was fairly famous then, but he was an absolute bastard. I, d I did hear that. Yeah. yeah. Sort of and that was like, his friends. A little like Walt. Yeah, except for uh, the famous Batman artist Dick Sprang. I never heard, even his old friend Julie Schwartz, who had known him since a teenager, didn't have much nice to say about him. And about they, Walt or Dick about Sprang? About Mort. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, about Mort, yeah. In fact, he said, when Mort Weisinger dies... His gravestone's going to say, here lies Mort Weisinger, as usual. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, but, man. Wow. Yeah. But Mort was a, a talented guy. Was he, had, he? He had written the first stories of Aquaman, Green Arrow, Johnny okay. Quick, a bunch right. of characters. He had talent. He had been an editor at startling pulp magazines before coming to D.C. He was a talented guy. Well, okay. Wow. But, he, but his system of coming up with stories was to get a writer in for Superman, one of his three or four Superman writers, right. hear his ideas, tell him they were no good, and then give those ideas to the next writer who came in saying they were his, as if somehow these writers were never going to talk and discover more just recycling our ideas. Right, right. But he was a good editor in the sense he knew how to develop in the post-Superman TV show. Okay. This Is that was George Reeves? Yeah. After okay. that, the late 58 or so, whenever that's when Mort came into his own, and that's when the Superman thing really expanded, and you got Bizarro, and you you got yeah. Supergirl, and you wow. got the Bottle City, and you got all these and, and sure. all these things that you couldn't really do as much when it was on TV because they'd right. say, "Well, this isn't on TV," you know. And for those late '50s and early '60s years, you know, he had all wow. these weird stuff and the imaginary stories. He was just sadistic. If I missed something, like there was some country, made-up country with about a 10 or 15-letter name, and, right. I, and in one place, it's mentioned twice in the story, and once two letters got transposed, I didn't see it, so he raked right. me over the coal. Oh, when man. I found something else, some other thing. He'd he was in the service during World right. War II, I guess. He says, when I was in the service, we call this chicken shit. You know, oh, if you found right. so, sure, sure. So I was actually, uh, you know, not the tenderest guy in the world. I, you know, I'd been a teacher several years. I was an adult. I was 24. But I went back to my room at the uh, hotel I was staying at right. until I got out of place. And, and you know, I, I'd feel tears where because here is this dream job I sure. thought I wanted right. in comics. Right. right. I hadn't pushed for it real hard. I, it had just come to me out of the blue. But here I am, and suddenly I find out I'm working for Frankenstein, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or something. And, but, but, you know, I got to try to make it. Luckily, Julie Schwartz, although I didn't see much of him, was the editor of the Flash, Green Lantern, Justice League, sure. the books I really wow. liked. And, so cool. And he wanted me to do some work for him. Well, ordinarily, those DC editors were very protective. They didn't like their people. But evidently, he was happy with me working for Julie, eventually, maybe. So I was looking forward to maybe better times. I was determined to make it. But then I made this weird decision. I wanted to meet Stan Lee. Right. Because Stan was writing what were obviously the best comics, you know, at the time. Sure. You could argue what, what Kirby or others contributed, but I'm talking even just about the dialogue, and I'm talking from the day I saw Fantastic Four number one, and I knew that writing was better than what 
the guys I liked at right, DC were right, So right. And one Stan had sent me a Spider-Man issue I had missed in the early days, the first Sandman story. And I wrote into Marvel, could I buy it? And he sent me a copy, you know, free. That's the only contact we ever had oh, really? <laughs> until the day I met him. Except he'd read a review I wrote of Fantastic Four number one that came out about two weeks after the book went on sale. Wow. He said it was a, a good book. Sure. And said he remembered my name and he mentioned it in a letter to my friend. And I was thrilled. Stan Lee mentioned my name in a letter. That's as yeah. good as it goes. Wow. Again. I wanted to meet him, so I wrote him a letter saying I'd like to buy him a drink sometime. Well, he wasn't interested in that kind of stuff. He lived on Long Island, didn't like to fraternize with anybody. He said, sure. you know, but he wanted me to take a writer's test. He said, we've been looking for a writer. I found out later they'd put an ad in the New York Times and had about 100 people, according to production manager Saul Brodsky. And, you know, Stan just didn't find anything he liked. He'd had a few other professional writers that yeah. also worked at D.C. writing for him, but he wasn't that happy with, with any of them. Okay. And uh, they didn't last long, mostly. So he was looking for a writer because, you know, he's writing nine or ten books a month. I didn't right, know right. that he was looking. You know, you figured he just wanted to do that. You well, know? I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't. You know, it's too much. It's a lot of work. And, you know, he didn't really want to do it. So he was looking for a writer. He kind of trained in his style or something. And, I guess it occurred to him, too, maybe a younger guy was better than an older guy at that okay. stage. So I took this test, never met him. I just showed up at the office on my lunch hour, sneaked over from D.C., took it, took it back the next day. But I never met Stan. And then one day, then the next morning after I turned it in, I got a call at D.C. while I was proofreading a Supergirl story, probably missing something. And I got a <laughs> phone call from the secretary in her high-pitched voice that I recognized, Flo Steinberg, fabulous Flo Steinberg, they called her there. Another one of Stan's. She wasn't especially fabulous. Nice right. person she was. But that right. was it. Started with an F, so sure. it's fat. She's fabulous. <laughs> so said, uh, you know, Roy would like to meet you. Uh, Stan would like to meet you at lunch. So I sneak over at lunch, and about fifteen or you know, we start talking around and so yeah. forth. And then Stan asking him, what do readers think of the continued stories? It was kind of a controversy in fandom then that. Marvel having continued stories because you had, right. you know, and so forth. And right. some readers didn't like them because you had to sure. not miss an issue. Sure. Sometimes the distribution was a little spotty. So Stan says, uh, he says oh, they, they hate them. I said, I'm going to keep on doing them because otherwise I can't remember what I do for month to month. <laughs> and it just gives me a starting point. Wow, that's know? funny. So about 15 or so minutes after we met, he just, he's, He's on the fourth or fifth floor, whatever. He's looking out over the window of Madison Avenue. He used to, he had binoculars sometime. He'd look at the girls walking up and down, you know. And he said, uh, so, he says, what do we have to do to hire you away from National? You know, National's what they called D.C. It wasn't called D.C. then, okay. you know, really. Right, right. You know, uh, for several years, really. He had the symbol there, but they didn't use that term. And so I said, ah, you know, I said, just offer me a job. The guy offered me 110 a week. You know, I didn't Did he at least that. match it? Yeah, I, I didn't mention the, the 100, you know, because oh, yeah, I just mentioned 110. Right. <laughs> so he says, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give you that. So, all right. So I said, well, I'll do it. But I said, I got to give him two weeks or more notice. Sure, because sure. That's he, an honorable he, thing. He asked me a little money to yeah. New York, and he suspected, right. I, can't, I can't leave him in the lurch. Then he yeah. said, well, I want you to start as soon as possible, but if it takes two, three weeks, okay. You know, okay. but I, he's a little disappointed, you know, because, right, you right. know, he can get started. He, you know, Stan was a guy of enthusiasm, and once he had you he wanted to get going sure and here sure. And now he's gonna to have to wait two or three weeks that i might change my mind or whatever right, right. fat chance of that <laughs> but anyway <laughs> uh i knew a better deal when i saw it even though you know marvel at that time of course was a much much smaller company distributed okay. by cc and really just a third or a fourth the size of sure. it even then even, sure. but Mort, I guess, had been hearing from other people. They had this idea that somebody evidently had particularly told him that, evidently, I found out later, that, you know, he says, this guy, meaning me, didn't seem like he was going to take all the abuse like the previous guy had. Right, right. And, uh, you know, so somehow Mort was thinking maybe he should try to be a little nicer. So he sort of said that. He says, people right. have been telling me, you know, maybe I'm a little hard on you and this and that. He starts talking, you know. So I'd let him go on for a minute or two because I'm trying to figure out how to 
breaking the news sure. because I'm a half an hour back late coming back from lunch. Okay. Right away, yeah. Right. You know? And I said, uh, I said, well, Mort, it's very nice. I appreciate this, but I said I have to tell you, I've uh, I've accepted a job working for Stan Lee over at Marvel. And he just, you know, stared at me because he's certainly not expecting that. Uh-oh. And I said, however, I told him that, you know, I'll go on working for as long as I need to, two, three weeks, wherever you need to sure. replace me. He says, I right. think you should hire the other guy back, Nelson Bridwell, which he did. And he worked out fine. I said, but I'll stay as long, you know, two, three weeks, sure. whatever, yeah. so you can get another person. Stan said, and uh, Mort says, uh, you're a spy for Stan Lee. Oh, get out. No. So like, like, what was Stan Lee <laughs> spying on Superman for? I don't know. You know. Anyway, so he kicks me out. So 15 minutes later. 20 minutes later, I'm back at Marvel and, and you know, giving a, talking to Stan. Hey, I'm back already. The bad penny has shown up So again. Stan was probably, I guess, was happy, happy that you were ready to start. He gave, he gave me a Millie the Model story to right. dialogue over the weekend, so I doubled my income right okay. away. <laughs> so I worked for DC for two weeks, two four-day weeks. Okay. There was a bit of July 4th right. holiday there. Right. But I was only paid for one of them, you know, one four-day Did you at least week. get the 110? From Stan, yeah. Oh, no. I'm never not, from him. Oh, never no, from got, him. No, no, I got the 100. Oh, you got yeah. that one. So but he it was still owes four, you $10. But it was for a four-day week. Well, he claimed okay. I never paid back the $50 advance for the airfare, but I think I did. But if I didn't, it's okay. <laughs> Too bad. Screw you, Mark. <laughs> but, you, but you became close friends with Stan. Thank God for John Cimino, by the way, because without that guy, I'm, I'm just so glad that you didn't become the Jim Finger of Stan Lee's Bob Kane, if you know what I mean. Because you were one of the main reasons why I even do what I do today, not just with podcasting, but also with You're not going to blame that on me now. You can't. I do blame you. I blame you totally. You should take full responsibility for that. Yeah, all right. Tell me a little bit about your last meeting with Stan. Well, that was uh, in November of 2018. Okay. Turned out to be 30-something hours before he died, less than 40, certainly. Wow. Of course, we didn't know that. We knew he was kind of fading, and right. he hadn't wanted to see anybody. What happened is, at Halloween, most years, except at the COVID years or whatever, we'd, we'd throw a big Halloween party for 50, 80 people or something in wow. you know, neighborhood, because they came in in costume. You know? Did you come in your original Spider-Man costume? No, no. I, we, sold, we sold that one. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah, okay. but... Uh, no, I, no, no. My wife had dressed me up as uh, a dolphin or a, a, a dolphin. You're working at Marvel. How do you well, not dress up as she one bought, of those characters? She, she bought me a Vision costume, but it was bloated out with balloons, and I just wouldn't wear it. It looked so awful. I said, this doesn't look like the Vision. I ain't going to wear this thing. So, or I'd be a Snow White, or as I call myself, okay. Snow White. You know? <laughs> but, you know, Were you happy with Paul Bellamy's vision? Were you happy with oh, that? Oh, yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, okay. I, didn't, I, didn't, I wanted to see him in the real costume yeah, sometime yeah, occasionally, right. and, and they fooled around with it, yeah. joked about it too much. But it was a good show, WandaVision. Uh, only thing I'm disappointed is, is that you know, they haven't found a way to bring the vision back. I want right. to see him back. I don't right. care if he's green and yellow or if he's white or whatever version, sure, exactly. but I want to see him back. Exactly. I'm not that interested in the Scarlet Witch. I'm real interested in the vision <laughs> and Ultron. So John knew a, a dealer who did a lot of work getting Stan's signature and so forth. So he right. said, you know, and he knew that I had almost flown out a few months earlier, six months or so earlier to see Stan and he had a different manager, sure. a handler for a while. And then it kind of fell through because that guy got kicked out or whatever. So he arranged, and this guy said, well, we know this, the guy who's Stan's hand or companion now. And we, you know, so we, uh, you know, we, uh, he, he arranged the whole thing. And John said that he, he asked Stan. Stan was really feeling kind of down. He didn't really want to see many people anymore. Right, but he said, right. but uh, he kind of sparked to, to my name. He said, yeah, he'd, he'd be happy sure. to see Roy. Sure. So I fly all the way across the country, as does John. You know, we at our own expense, we flew all the way to the country just so 
on the chance that Sam would be okay that day to see us. Because yeah. you know, if, if he didn't feel well, we yeah. were just out of luck, and that sure. was that. We knew we were taking a chance. About a half an hour was all I could manage, but he was pretty dapper, okay. sitting up there in his, you know, in his sunglasses. Yeah, I've seen the pictures dressed. of him. I'm like, he looks yeah. exactly and like he's, Stan Lee. And he's staring. Yeah, he's he's old. He's kind of tired, but he was. He's, you know, it was but, still. He was still there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. His mind was still, you know, fairly sharp. He just got tired early. You know, first thing he says to me is, uh, "This living to be a hundred years old isn't as much fun as I thought it might be, or as I hoped it might be." I said, "Well, you know, yeah, wow. he, he's doing pretty good. He was going to be ninety-six in about a month." You know? Oh, okay. So he was doing all right, and until oh. the last year, right, right, he, he'd been still doing pretty well. He'd shrunk several inches from being six-two or whatever it was to not looking like about my height, you know, and everything. Uh, but, uh, you know, but he was still getting around to so that last year when his wow. wife died. And, you know, things just kind of, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the age and the situation were just kind of catching I up with him. I can only imagine, sure. And, and you know, he, you know I, don't, I think he was kind of getting ready to go. You know, it wasn't like he was trying to hang on to every little bit. But as, as long as he was there, you know, he signed things for increasing amounts of money. Sure. <laughs> right. And uh, so we talked for a little bit. And he'd ask, how's the farm? He was always fascinated by the fact that this guy, even though I was a small town person, Right. Originally, this guy that he knew mainly from New York and then later in L.A., you know, lived on a farm with like dozens and dozens of animals. Sure, cattle, sure. pigs, donkeys, llamas, right. Right. <laughs> dogs, everything, <laughs> toucans running around. And he, he, so he'd have my wife, Dan, you know, take some pictures or film to right. show it because right. he couldn't see me on a farm or anything like that, you know. Well, nobody could really. But... You know, I really liked it, you know. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, you come out. Says, oh, I got 40 acres. You can walk around, you know. And uh, <laughs> we had a good little time. But after a little bit, he was getting, you know, kind of tired and everything. They brought by a copy of the book I had written about him for, for Toshin, which, which he had recommended me for. Okay. This big 17-pound book that was about to come out. And, and, and the guy from uh, his company is there with the book, one of the first copies. He says, uh, this is the book. And he says... How much is this going to be? It's going to be an addition of about a thousand copies. Okay. He says, "Oh, it's uh, it's like oh, fifteen hundred dollars." Stan's eyes go. He says, "Who the hell is going to buy it?" Well, as it turned out, he died a day or two later. It sold out in about a week. Wow. <laughs> you know? Wow. Then they had the mass version that came out later for, oh you know, for only two hundred. Sure, sure. But uh, they were almost identical. Wow. Anyway, so I, you know, wow, but, but it was really nice to see Stan and everything. But you know, you could tell he was getting tired. His manager, John Bowlerjack, was really the. You know, the best thing that you know, yeah. happened to him. He, sure, was, he sure. was devoted to him. He was professional. He was good to him. He wanted right. nothing in return, you know, and so he was just a good guy. Right, right. And he washed out for Stan. And, you know, so Stan, when he got over tired, he introduced him to, to John near the end. And we got, you know, John took a couple photographs. Sure. And then John Bolerjak took a couple photographs of the three of us. And then we left. And, of course, you know, less than 48 hours later, got the news that he had passed away and everything. Uh, and uh, wow. I was, you know... Not too surprised, but you know, you it's amazing. You, I always wanted to think you'd go on time with him, though. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was really wonderful. I, I feel I owe you know John Savino and John Bolerjack a, a lot for uh, arranging that's that. That's fantastic. Man. I mean, it's not like we were ever you know, use it close friends. We weren't even friends, Stan and I. Really, I mean, you know, in the loose sense of the word, sure, we, yeah, yeah, we yeah. sort of liked each other ninety percent sure. of the time. Sometimes, well, he did hire you. He hired me. He fired me. He fired you. <laughs> Well, so I wish we had time for that story. Gee sorry whiz. About that. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's out there, you know. But within a few, you know, months of, well, he, 
he won me off the editor job because I wasn't enough of a company man at that stage. And gotcha. he's, he's right in that sense. Okay. I was going to go to D.C., but he wanted me to stay on, and so I signed a writer-editor contract. As right. long as I didn't have to work for any other editor except him, right. I'd stay there. And I did that for another several years and huh. later then left for D.C. As we close out here at the Willsboro Comic Con... You're throwing me uh, out? I'm going to fire you. I want, an, I want a chance uh, to fire Roy Thomas. Everybody does eventually. <laughs> Everyone does. It's your turn. Have you done anything on your own outside of Marvel, D.C., any kind of books or, or writing on your own? I was never that interested in doing it, but at the same time, once I left DC, the contract, I mean, I didn't so much leave that I could go on working for him, but there was no contract or guarantee anymore right. after 86. So I signed a couple of things where I owned the characters. I actually made up a, a character called Alter Ego, who is, you know, the same fancy name, only as a superhero. Okay. And, I, and my wife and I made up another thing that I named Captain Thunder and Blue Bolt, which is a father and son team. Nice. That was actually optioned for a, uh, a film. That's kind of cool. Once by Joe Buzan, who was the producer of things like Jeremiah Johnson. Okay. But, they, but yeah. he never quite managed a movie out of it. He never uh. could crack how to make a movie. And there were a couple, several people interested in Alter Ego as a, a movie property. That's a great name, Alter but, Ego. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could say I invented it. It was my friend Jerry Bales, who was the Detroit College professor, actually was the founder of Alter Ego. He named okay. it. Okay. And, and I was sort of like his, he said, a co-editor, but I just helped by sure. writing and drawing. No, but you did co-create Spider-Man, Vision, Morbius. You well, did not Spider-Man. Oh, you weren't the one, I thought you were co-creator. Of Spider-Man? Yeah. Oh, God, I wish. <laughs> oh, wow. I thought, okay, I was mistaken. No, 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 there was, no I just bought Spider-Man or Amazing Fantasy 15 on the stands in 62. Do you like still have that? Else. Yeah, I, I bound them all, oh, okay. and they've gotten some water damage, but they're worth more than the 10 or 12 cents I paid for them. I'll give you that. Anyway. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's still amazing. What would you say to somebody just starting out wanting to produce their own comic book? Mm. What would be a word of advice for them? Well, of course, you know, my experience pushing 60 years ago now, 57 years ago, would not be very apropos of anything now. Maybe not I, with the technology, no, but at least with your experience. But, I, but, but the, well, the main thing is... There's one thing, you know, that one of the things that made me come to attention at the time was I was helped. By that time, I had become the uh, editor and publisher of Alter Ego, okay. inheriting it. So I, was, right. so I was writing articles for it. I was editing other people's articles for it. Putting, actually, I was pasting it up and doing everything. I was drawing some cartoons, even though I wasn't primarily an artist. Sure. So, and I was sending that in to Stan. But, you know, also more to the D.C. people or anybody I knew, you know, to give them to, to get some feedback and right. letters and so forth, sending them into Julie Schwartz and Wart Weisinger, you know, people I knew or people I didn't know. Sure, sure. That sort of brought me to the attention of Julie and Mort Weisinger. Stan knew, knew about it vaguely. The modern-day equivalent of that would just be nowadays, actually, in some ways easier, less expensive. I would say just get it out there and don't give up. You know, don't do something if that doesn't work. First of all, you better enjoy it. And if you enjoy it, just keep on doing it. You know, have an eye toward the main chance. And the other thing I always tell people, this is the most important advice. You know, write this down. Be lucky. Be lucky. Be lucky. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how to do this. This was Stan's big thing, too. He says luck is such a huge factor in everything. you got to be the right person. But you've got to be at the right time and the right place. Right, right. You know, you could only try to be the right person. You sure. don't know what the right place is. Did I know that the right? And I think there's a certain. Did I know I that the right something about that. the right place and time mm -hmm. to be to become you know uh, to do all the stuff I did with Marvel and other places was to yeah. go to work for DC, or to do a fanzine. You, yeah. know, you just do it. You, you, you throw yourself out there, and then you, you look for the main chance when That's it comes it. along, and you do it. When DC didn't work out as well, right. I went to Marvel. When right. Marvel, I got, when I kind of soured on Marvel because I didn't like 
the new editor in the new editorial range, but I went to DC. I'm very happy I went in a certain way. It wasn't good for my career, probably, but I got to write All-Star Squadron that I made up, which was my favorite comic to write of all time. And then I came back to Marvel. You know, never been, you know, as integral to Marvel as I was if I hadn't left, perhaps. But, you know, I had a a good life in spite of it. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Dude, it was a pleasure. Is there anything you want to uh, drop on our listeners before we before we leave? No, just uh, keep reading comic books. I don't want to see them all just be online or, you know, or just the movie versions or the streaming versions. Let's keep those comic books alive. It, graphic novels are great. Let's, let's keep what Dick Giordano used to call the pamphlets, the 32-page, 36-with-covers books. Let's support them, too. And, <laughs> the pamphlets, uh, keep I like them, Keep them alive uh, and so forth. So there's a print medium, too. Don't make it all be out there in the ether and cyber world. Yeah, you know, and exactly. So and, uh, it's, or it's stuck a wonder- in your head and never it's, on paper. I'm, I've always been a superhero fan primarily, but I liked westerns and humor and a little bit of everything, you know. And even if I don't read many comics anymore as such, except I'd like to read the old stuff in the 40s or 50s. Sure, just sure. Just for, for the heck of it. And because I do Alter Ego, my comics history magazine, and that deals with period from the 40s on up through the 70s. After which point my interest you know, drops off the map. I'm just very enthusiastic about the form. I love the superheroes, but I'm just so glad there's so many things now. They can be adult novels, they can yep. be manga, they, mm-hmm. which I don't happen to like myself, but it's a wonderful form. It's great that it's so popular. I want to see graphic novels. I want to see educational ones and history. And we always used to say there should be very few things that you can do in a novel or a nonfiction book that you can't do in a comic or a graphic novel. And nowadays people are proving that's true. You know. They're not just for kids anymore. Right. I wish there were a few more for kids. We never wanted them to be for kids, and you know, well, now the average right. comic right. book reader is probably about eighty, like me. I don't know. Well, <laughs> the, the, our thing, Legends of Alduria, is for kids, so that's why I was asking you about about people starting their own comics. What mm-hmm. would you suggest? That's why I was asking you that. This has been fantastic. Where can people find you online? I've never been on Facebook or Twitter, okay, or any of this stuff in my entire life, and okay. I don't intend to start now. But good, uh, I do. I do have a Facebook presence because uh, my manager and friend John Samino has on Facebook there's it's, it's called the Roy Thomas Appreciation Board. Now you don't have to actually appreciate me beyond there. There's a lot of stuff uh, listen, about other we, no, we appre- you're very very humble. <laughs> but, you should be proud of that yeah, by the but, way. <laughs> but, but, look, but look up the Roy Thomas Appreciation Board. The Roy board Thomas and, Appreciation yeah, Board on Facebook yeah, that John Cimino put together. He always lets things know what, what I'm doing. There's a lot of other people get on there too, sure. you know, and so forth. And it's it's kind of even my sister's a member. Oh nice. <laughs> there you go. You got some family support. Yeah, right. Roy, it was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for being on Frank Talks mm-hmm. and we will catch up soon, I hope. Okay. Thank you very much. Roy, let's talk a little Wolverine, shall we? I've so, heard of that character, yeah. 19, what, 1974, correct? Right. So he was originally designed as a, an enemy or a villain for the Hulk, wasn't he? Yeah, but the idea was never that he was going to be a villain, really, because... More what, like a foil for the Hulk. No, not even for the Hulk. He really? Hulk, the Hulk had nothing to do with it. The Hulk was just a convenience. What happened is, one day, and I probably meant to stand before I did it, but I didn't need his approval. I was the editor-in-chief at that stage, and unless it was a, a major thing, which Wolverine was not at that time, right, right. I could have just done yeah, it. There was no it. X-Men fans no, to join. With, no, there was no X-Men. Exactly, that's right. <laughs> so I decided, I may have told Stan, but, I mean, you know, but it was my idea that, that I figured, you know, we got a several percent of our readers are Canadian. Sure. In English and all that, right? Okay. They read the same books. You know, they weren't even new covers, right? They are just the same ones, you know, and so forth. So I thought, you know, I had made up Banshee as an Irish mutant and uh, Sunfire as a Japanese one. Okay. And I thought, in a couple other characters here and there, and I thought, you know, 
we needed a Canadian character. With all these characters we got, we should have one lousy Canadian, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, 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 and of course, it's selfish too, in a way. I mean, uh, you know, we might make a few Canadian people sell, uh, I mean, buy a comic book. Sure. They were already buying them. We might buy a few more if they had a Canadian hero, and then why not? You know? Right, right. I'd been to Canada a couple of times, you know, visiting a few people, knew a few people there. So I thought about animals. It wouldn't have had to be an animal, but they've had, you know, Captain Canada, Captain Canuck kind of stuff. So I yeah, wanted yeah. something different. So I thought, an animal's good. You know, we always liked animal creatures, you know. When I was a kid, I was a, my first hero was Frank Buck, the famous uh, Bring Him Back Alive. Oh, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In Africa and Southeast Asia sure. for the zoo. And he was one of my heroes. I read his books and I saw some movies of him. And, you know, Clyde Beatty was, uh, was a big deal there, too. I wanted to be at one time for about 50 minutes, wanted to be a big game hunter, that kind of thing. You okay. Know? But to bring him back alive for it, I didn't so much want to shoot him, you know, catch him. But I always knew about animals. I'd go to the zoo in St. Louis every year. I'd buy the, the books, and I, you know, I knew a lot more about animals than usual. Right, kids. right. So I knew what a wolverine was since I was a young age. Okay. And I thought about a badger. That's another animal that could be in Canada as well as the United States. But okay. a badger didn't sound that good. A yeah, badger, badger sound, doesn't have a ring like wolverine does. Badger sounds like you're annoying people. You badger them. You badger them. wolverine <laughs> has that wolfish sound. It does, know? yes. And I, I wasn't thinking of a sports team or anything like that because, you know, sports never meant anything to me. I decided that I wanted a character called Wolverine. He's Canadian. He's short small because a wolverine is a relatively small animal and right. it's known to attack animals 10 20 times its size it's so fierce so i called in len ween and the reason the hulk is in the hulk has nothing to do with the hulk except for the fact that most of the heroes they, they were in new york daredevil was in maybe san francisco right but right this was going to be a, a canadian character so it wasn't going to be in the states huh. and the, the hulk was always on the run somewhere right so, that's okay yeah and, so i and as it happened, Len was about to write some stories that could have been in Canada anyway by coincidence because I wanted to do it right away. I didn't want to say, I don't want it to be six months from now. I didn't know I was going to be leaving the company, you know, leaving the editorship in a couple of months. Right. But I just wanted to be followed by Jim Shooter. Yeah. yeah. Not, well, no, that's several years. Oh, that was more. There are four in between. Oh, really? I thought it was more, right after you. No, okay. Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, okay, Archie okay. Goodwin were all in gotcha. between. Gotcha. So I called Len in and I said, you know, right away, you know, uh, and it turned out to be very work out coincidentally. And he did this because he was doing with this window story. I said, do right. you want to just get this story there right away because I want this character to exist. But he was never going to be a villain except, I mean, in a story he's got to fight the Hulk. But he was created to be a hero, but with Marvel there was not much difference. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, so he just, but I left it to him past that point. Uh, one reason that I liked him doing it, I told him so, wasn't the main reason I chose him. It was just because he was a good writer and he was doing the Hulk. If sure. somebody else okay. was doing the Hulk, somebody mm -hmm. else would have been the co-creator of Wolverine. If, sure. If right. Jerry Conway had been writing the Hulk that time, he would be the co-creator He would be the right, right. I see what you mean. It would be mean. whoever did it. That's interesting. And the character would be a little different. Or if I had decided to write that issue, it would be a little different. You know? Okay. He would right. look the same because I had John Romita draw him first. John Romita draw, you know, design the character. Right. Okay. For Herb to draw, but for but Romita designed it. How close is the character now than from John's first initial well, design? The they, they have a version of the costume and everything, okay. but it got altered right away. The mask got kind of changed around. Right. So forth. But, but what about him by himself? Just Frank Logan by himself? Well, the thing is, until Dave Cockrum drew him a couple of issues in in uh, in X Men. Okay. There was no face for Wolverine. He's the guy in the mask and you don't know what he looks right, like. Right, that's right. Mask. Yeah, okay. So, 
and I think that David already designed a face kind of that he used, you know, and so he, he threw that in. So he leaves that, okay. As a matter of fact, Dave had once drawn a character called Wolverine that supposedly he might have showed me as one of a bunch of Legion of Superheroes types or something. Okay. It had nothing to do with my choice because I got Wolverine from knowing about animals. I don't remember anything about that. But sure. Dave was always drawing characters. He was going to, he showed me some characters he was he drew to try to get in the Legion of Superheroes. Okay. He was doing it for DC. Right. And then he thought when I decided he should be the X-Men artist, you know, the, for the new X-Men. Right, right. Uh, you know, he had a bunch of characters, but by that time, Wolverine had already been, you know, created. Wow. But I just got this character created because I wanted, and because Lynn, and I told Lynn this, it was true as far as it went. When I had made up with Stan the idea for a brother voodoo character, I had Lynn and did it because Lynn uh, wrote some accents for the characters. Now, so he wrote the accents for Brother Voodoo. Now, he gave Brother Voodoo, who was in Haiti, he gave him kind of a Jamaican accent, but it was an accent <laughs> anyway. And I, I don't really do accents. I wasn't going to write that book okay. anyway. Now, had I known right. what Wolverine was slated to become eventually, not because of me or Len or anything, but more because of Chris Claremont and yeah, the people yeah. he worked with, sure. Dave Cockham and later Byrne, then I would have kicked Len off the book for Hulk what, for one month, and I would have written the That's, story. There you go, right. And, I, and I'd, have, I'd have been collecting money for these shoes. You know. But <laughs> any, although I don't think Len ever got any money out of it either. Really? Any, wow. I don't, don't know why. So I just had Len, and I said, you know, you handle access, Canadian access, just saying A at the end of sentences sometimes. That's right, that's, eh? And I said, you know, but you do accents well. And so, it, But the main thing was just because he was, he could get the, him in the Hulk right away. Okay. And once we got him in, I didn't care about him that much. He was no big deal. He's a character. Okay, now we got our Canadian hero. We'll we'll find some other places to get him. Mm -hmm. He'll be in Daredevil, sure. or he'll be sure. in this, or he'll come right. down to New York, or somebody will go up you to You could Ohio. put him in almost anything, really, yeah. Yeah. and it would work. Yeah, it's just the Hulk was an easy way to do it, because the Hulk can be anywhere, because he's always stomping he's around always on a, and <laughs> leaping in the way. that's right. So, but then he's out for the book right away. You know, and you don't see him for several right. months. And it just so happened, by coincidence, that only a couple of months later came up the idea that turned into the, the revival of the X-Men, and if you're going to have an international X-Men, naturally, you're going to have in some of the characters that you already have, and, and three of them were mine, Banshee, yeah. Sunfire, and Wolverine were mine, sure. co-creator, I'm not trying to take it sure. away from the artist or from Len. No, 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 absolutely, like I get you. But I'd already done three characters like that, so three of those got into that first giant size X-Men, and then along with the new ones that Dave and... Uh, Len Wein made up. So what about Wolverine coming into the multiverse? Could that possibly work? I wanted him for the Marvel Universe. Right, okay. Obviously there, okay. Could, be, there could be another version of him in another dimension. Maybe there gotcha. he's called the Badger or the Moose. I don't oh, know. the Moose. <laughs> I couldn't go on the Maple Moose. Maple syrup, that's what right. a dramatic animal, you know. That would have been dynamic. But yeah, but, but there was already a Moose in Archie, too. Besides, Moose is just, that's not that yeah, dramatic. you don't want to go that way. I never considered Moose only Badger and Wolverine. You know, they had a copy of Wolverine, another company called the Badger. Oh, see, well, they yeah. probably were like, oh, they, they missed the yeah, badge of this. Yeah, they could yeah. have capitalized he on this. Good. He was good, too. Frank Miller in the 80s put out a miniseries called Wolverine. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about that? Did you get a chance to read that? Or? Well, I read it later. I mean, you know, okay. uh, especially when Jerry Conway and I were doing a screenplay of an early version of an X-Men movie that didn't get made, but we wrote okay. the screenplay and everything in the mid-80s. So I read some of that stories. I never got into the idea of him being, uh, you know, a samurai type of thing. I never right, seemed right. right for him. Yeah. But that's okay. You know, all I did and all that Len did, really, Len only wrote a couple of stories of him, and he didn't make much of an impact on him, except what Len did was he came up with that background of that, what became the Project X kind of stuff. Okay. And that's all yeah. Len. 
Yeah. And he came up, and although the claws were drawn by Romita, and they were, you know, the idea of the claws, but the idea that they come out of through his skin and all that, I mean, that was made up by other people. Oh, that Let, wasn't the original concept. Well, it wasn't the concept I handed to Len because it was up to him. You know, I just gave I would him those, think a Wolverine, look, when you have the initial idea for Wolverine, how are you not thinking claws? No, no, I was. Oh, you are? Okay. But the thing is, then I get, see, I gave the assignment to John Romita. Well, they say John Romita Sr., but I don't use that because, right. you know, at that time there was no John Romita Jr. in comics. You know, <laughs> right, you didn't need a senior. Yeah. Right. So he was just John Romita, and he'll always be John Romita. Right, me. right. The thing is that I just gave John, as our art director, I could have just had Herb Trempe, the, uh, yeah. the artist, draw He would have right. done a fine job on right. it. But, for, but with some new characters, we'd give it to John because uh, John was was a you know, good designer and John didn't know what a Wolverine was. Interesting. So, first thing he says, he, he said this, he said he thought it was a, that was a female wolf. You know? <laughs> okay, you know what? That's not bad. Okay. That's not bad. Well, I that's one of the reasons that. I chose the name is because yeah. it sounded wolf-like so it was better than bad. Yeah, yeah. So John looks it up and, and finds out what it is. Everybody rediscovered the wheel. I told Len he had to be sharp and fierce. Okay. Len later says that Roy just did, he, he sort of remembered just that I gave him the name and his Canadian and then I looked him up and thought he was short and fierce. Well, that's true. If you want to rediscover the wheel. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, then nobody told John Romita what he So John Romita was always short and fierce. You know, everybody's so, <laughs> you know, I did it first, but everybody's rediscovering. Oh, he's short and he's fierce. Yeah, what so, a great idea I had. And, and uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> they all have this great idea, except I had it first. But anyway, they did plenty of other stuff. Len and, and the others did plenty of other stuff. They didn't do that, but they did plenty. So John then designed the costume and gave it kind of a claw motif. And he has the claws to yeah, right. But they could have been, you know, claws. They didn't have to come from an exoskeleton. They could have just been natural claws. They could have been artificial claws. Sure. If I had written the character, you know, it would probably have been different from the way Len did it. Okay. You know, he would have had a different background. He might not. Sure. What Len sure. did that was nice was, and I'm pleased with this, he, he gave him, he made him a mutant right away, which you didn't automatically have to be, which made him ideal to go in the X-Men anyway. Of course. Otherwise, we might have had to retroactively prepare him an X-Men to put him right. in the X-Men. Right, that's right. And he's, I think he's the guy that came up with the, uh, the, the idea that they were adamantium, you know, and so forth. Sure, and sure. And, of course, I'm very happy about that because I invented adamantium too so therefore I was very happy that he did but that was his idea okay so and, no no relation to any other kind of metal like vibranium no no no, no. what's the stronger one? Oh, of course of adamantium of course adamantium because that's, that's what, the one that's you what did well, <laughs> vibranium has its own thing it's another it's a great mineral all it was supposed to do was what it was supposed to stop mi missiles from going off course that or that's, no, that's great that's great well I I really want to vibrate because I don't want any of my missiles to go off course I love that his weakness is magnets <laughs> yeah well, the thing is, I, when I invented Vibranium, I was doing a story. It didn't matter who the artist was because it's just a metal. It's not like you're designing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Barry Smith was the original artist, but that didn't make any difference. The main thing was I had wanted a metal that was the hardest thing there could be. Harder than diamond, harder than anything. Right. And I said, I'm going right. to make up this metal. And I didn't know what to call it, you know. Then I remembered that when I first read this one, tran a particular translation by a man, a, a scholar named Richmond Lattimore, of the Greek tragedian Aeschylus's play Prometheus Bound. In, the, in this one thing on the very first page, he uses this adjective that I hadn't really seen before, though I mean it existed, uh, adamantine. Oh, oh okay. A-D-A-M-A-N-T-I-N-E. It's a, just an adjective. It's, you know, it's related to the, like, the word adamant. You know, right, ad right. But adamantine, and I like that word. By the way, also on that first page are two 
two guys that helped bind Prometheus to the rock. Their names Kratos and Bia, and I made them Marvel characters too. Interesting. So I thought adamantine is kind of interesting, and that just led naturally to adamantium. And yeah, yeah. the I O N to that it. The word adamantium is used right. in that by one of my favorite old 1956 movies, Forbidden Planet. I don't. Mm-hmm. That, there's. I don't know. I don't remember that. I can't find it. It's not in the script as such because yeah. I've had yeah. copies of the script. But it doesn't matter. I know where I got adamantium from. That's I'm amazing. not that happy with my making up names. I haven't made up that many great names. I mean, Ultron Five is the great name. It's okay. But I'm really proud of adamantium. I think that's one of the best names I ever made up for anything. I'm more. a big fan of it too, my man. And they it still sounds use, strong. They still use the Quinjet I made up too. Well, of course, because <laughs> it's fantastic, man. Because they, yeah, instead of Twinjet, I said, well, if there's a Twinjet, why not a Quinjet? We'll have five of them, you know. But, but uh, that's, that's just awesome, kind man. of crazy. Stan and I, Kirby too, for that matter, we didn't know anything about technology. Jack could draw it, but he didn't know anything about it. And Stan would say everything was feedback. He actually used the term feedback in his stories. He didn't know what. Stan and I, we know nothing about science. We just kind of faked it all through, you know. Well, you could have fooled me because, I mean, it's a masterpiece, everything you guys have touched. So thank you so much, man. I really, right. really appreciate you uh, sitting with us and, and talking about this stuff. It just means a lot to a lot of people, okay. especially thank me. You. Thank you.